Section 28 of State of the Union Addresses by United States Presidents, 1901-1908. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. State of the Union Address, Theodore Roosevelt, December 3, 1907, Part 4. In the eastern United States, the mineral fuels have already passed into the hands of large private owners, and those of the West are rapidly following. It is obvious that these fuels should be conserved and not wasted, and it would be well to protect the people against unjust and extortionate prices, so far as that can still be done. What has been accomplished in the great oil fields of the Indian Territory by the action of the administration offers a striking example of the good results of such a policy. In my judgment, the government should have the right to keep the fee of the coal, oil, and gas fields in its own possession, and to lease the rights to develop them under proper regulations. Or else, if the Congress will not adopt this method, the coal deposits should be sold under limitations, to conserve them as public utilities, the right to mine coal being separated from the title to the soil. The regulations should permit coal lands to be worked in sufficient quantity by the several corporations. The present limitations have been absurd, excessive, and serve no useful purpose, and often render it necessary that there should be either fraud or close abandonment of the work of getting out the coal. Work on the Panama Canal is proceeding in a highly satisfactory manner. In March last, John F. Stevens, chairman of the commission and chief engineer, resigned, and the commission was reorganized and constituted as follows. Lieutenant Colonel George W. Gothels, Corps of Engineer, U.S. Army, chairman and chief engineer. Major D.D. Gallard, Corps of Engineer, U.S. Army. Major William L. Siebert, Corps of Engineers, U.S. Army. Civil Engineer H. H. Rousseau, U.S. Navy. Mr. J. C. S. Blackburn, Colonel W. C. Gorgas, U.S. Army, and Mr. Jackson Smith, Commissioners. This change of authority and direction went into effect on April 1st without causing a perceptible check to the progress of the work. In March, the total excavation in the Colabera Cut, where effort was chiefly concentrated, was 815,270 cubic yards. In April, this was increased to 879,527 cubic yards. There was a considerable decrease in the output for May and June, owing partly to the advent of the rainy season and partly to temporary trouble with the steam shovel men over the question of wages. This trouble was settled satisfactorily to all parties, and in July the total excavation advanced materially, and in August the grand total from all points in the canal prism by steam shovels and dredges exceeded all previous United States records, reaching 1,274,404 cubic yards. In September, this record was eclipsed, and a total of 1,517,412 cubic yards was removed.
of this amount, 1,481,307 cubic yards were from the canal prism, and 36,105 cubic yards were from accessory works. These results were achieved in the rainy season, with a rainfall in August of 11.89 inches and in September of 11.65 inches. Finally, in October, the record was again eclipsed, the total excavation being 1,868,729 cubic yards. A truly extraordinary record, especially in view of the heavy rainfall, which was 17.1 inches. In fact, experience during the last two rainy seasons demonstrates that the rains are a less serious obstacle to progress than has hitherto been supposed. Work on the locks and dams at Gayton, which began actively in March last, has advanced so far that it is thought that masonry work from the locks can be begun within 15 months. In order to remove all doubt as to the satisfactory character of the foundations for the locks of the canal, the Secretary of War requested three eminent civil engineers of special experience in such construction. Alfred Nobel, Frederick P. Stearns, and John R. Freeman, to visit the Isthmus and make thorough personal investigations of the sites. These gentlemen went to the Isthmus in April, and by means of test pits, which had been dug for the purpose, they inspected the proposed foundations and also examined the borings that had been made. In their report to the Secretary of War, under date of May 2, 1907, they said, We found that all of the locks, of the dimensions now proposed, will rest upon rock of such character that it will furnish a safe and stable foundation. Subsequent new borings conducted by the present commission have fully confirmed this verdict. They show that the locks will rest on rock for their entire length. The cross-section of the dam and method of construction will be such as to ensure against any slip or sloughing off. Similar examination of the foundations of the locks and dams on the Pacific side are in progress. I believe that the locks should be made of a width of 120 feet. Last winter, bids were requested and received for doing the work of canal construction by contract. None of them was found to be satisfactory, and all were rejected. It is the unanimous opinion of the present Commission that the work be done better more cheaply, and more quickly by the government than by private contractors. Fully 80% of the entire plant needed for construction has been purchased or contracted for. Machine shops have been erected and equipped for making all needed repairs to the plant. Many thousands of employees have been secured. An effective organization has been perfected. A recruiting system is in operation which is capable of furnishing more labor than can be used advantageously. Employees are well sheltered and well fed, salaries paid are satisfactory, and the work is not only going forward smoothly, but it is producing results far in advance of the most sanguine anticipations. Under these favorable conditions, a change in the method of prosecuting the work would be unwise and unjustifiable, for it would inevitably disorganize existing conditions, check progress, and increase the cost and lengthen the time 
of completing the canal. The chief engineer and all his professional associates are firmly convinced that the 85-feet level lock canal which they are constructing is the best that could be desired. Some of them had doubts on this point when they went to the Isthmus. As the plans have developed under their direction, their doubts have been dispelled. While they may decide upon changes in detail as construction advances, they are in hearty accord in approving the general plan. They believe that it provides a canal not only adequate to all demands that will be made upon it, but superior in every way to a sea-level canal. I concur in this belief. I commend to the favorable consideration of the Congress a postal savings bank system, as recommended by the Postmaster General. The primary object is to encourage among our people economy and thrift, and by the use of postal savings banks to give them an opportunity to husband their resources, particularly those who have not the facilities at hand for depositing their money in savings banks. Viewed, however, from the experience of the past few weeks, it is evident that the advantages of such an institution are still more far-reaching. Timid depositors have withdrawn their savings for the time being from national banks, trust companies, and savings banks. Individuals have hoarded their cash and the working men their earnings, all of which money has been withheld and kept in hiding or in safe deposit box to the detriment of prosperity. Through the agency of the postal savings banks, such money would be restored to the channels of trade, to the mutual benefit of capital and labor. I further commend to the Congress the consideration of the Postmaster General's recommendation for an extension of the parcel post, especially on the rural routes. There are now 38,215 rural routes serving nearly 15 million people who do not have the advantages of the inhabitants of cities in obtaining their supplies. These recommendations have been drawn up to benefit the farmer and the country storekeeper. Otherwise, I should not favor them, for I believe that it is good policy for our government to do everything possible to aid the small town and the country district. It is desirable that the country merchant should not be crushed out. The Fourth Class Postmasters' Convention has passed a very strong resolution in favor of placing the Fourth Class Postmasters under the Civil Service Law. The administration has already put into effect the policy of refusing to remove any Fourth Class Postmasters, save for reasons connected with the good of the service, and it is endeavoring so far as possible to remove them from the domain of partisan politics. It would be a most desirable thing to put the fourth-class postmasters in the classified service. It is possible that this might be done without congressional action, but, as the matter is debatable, I earnestly recommend that the Congress enact a law providing that they be included under the civil service law and put in the classified service. Oklahoma has become a state, standing on full equality with her elder sisters and her future is assured by her great natural resources. The duty of the national government to guard the personal and property rights of the Indians within her borders remains, of course, unchanged. I reiterate my recommendations of last year as regards Alaska. Some form of local self-government should be provided, 
as simple and inexpensive as possible. It is impossible for the Congress to devote the necessary time to all the little details of necessary Alaskan legislation. Road building and railway building should be encouraged. The governor of Alaska should be given an ample appropriation wherewith to organize a force to preserve the public peace. Whiskey selling to the natives should be made a felony. The coal land laws should be changed so as to meet the peculiar needs of the territory. This should be attended to at once, for the present laws permit individuals to locate large areas of the public domain for speculative purposes and cause an immense amount of trouble, fraud, and litigation. There should be another judicial division established. As early as possible, lighthouses and buoys should be established as aids to navigation, especially in and about Prince William Sound, and the survey of the coast completed. There is need of liberal appropriations for lighting and buoying the southern coast, and improving the aids to navigation in southeastern Alaska. One of the great industries of Alaska, as of Puget Sound and the Columbia, is salmon fishing. Gradually, by reason of lack of proper laws, this industry is being ruined. It should now be taken in charge and effectively protected by the United States government. The courage and enterprise of the citizens of the far northwest, in their projected Alaskan-Yukon-Pacific exposition to be held in 1909, should receive liberal encouragement. This exposition is not sentimental in its conception, but seeks to exploit the natural resources of Alaska and to promote the commerce, trade, and industry of the Pacific states with their neighboring states and with our insular possessions and the neighboring countries of the Pacific. The exposition asks no loan from the Congress, but seeks appropriations for national exhibits and exhibits of the Western dependencies of the general government. The state of Washington and the city of Seattle have shown the characteristic Western enterprise in large donations for the conduct of this exposition in which other states are lending generous assistance. The unfortunate failure of the shipping bill at the last session of the last Congress was followed by the taking off of certain Pacific steamships, which has greatly hampered the movement of passengers between Hawaii and the mainland. Unless the Congress is prepared, by positive encouragement, to secure proper facilities in the way of shipping between Hawaii and the mainland, then the coastwise shipping laws should be so far relaxed as to prevent Hawaii suffering as it is now suffering. I again call your attention to the capital importance for every standpoint of making Pearl Harbor available for the largest deep-water vessels and of suitably fortifying the island. The Secretary of War has gone to the Philippines. On his return, I shall submit to you his report on the islands. I again recommend that the rights of citizenship be conferred upon the people of Puerto Rico. A Bureau of Mines should be created under the control and direction of the Secretary of the Interior the Bureau to have power to collect statistics and make investigations in all matters pertaining to mining and particularly to the accidents and dangers of the industry. If this cannot now be done, 
at least additional appropriations should be given the Interior Department to be used for the study of mining conditions, for the prevention of fraudulent mining schemes, for carrying on the work of mapping the mining districts, for studying methods for minimizing the accidents and dangers in the industry, in short, to aid in all proper ways the development of the mining industry. I strongly recommend to the Congress to provide funds for keeping up the hermitage, the home of Andrew Jackson, these funds to be used through the existing Hermitage Association for the preservation of a historic building which should ever be dear to Americans. I further recommend that a naval monument be established in the Vicksburg National Park. This national park gives a unique opportunity for commemorating the deeds of those gallant men who fought on water, no less than those who fought on land in the Great Civil War. Legislation should be enacted at the present session of the Congress for the 13th Census. The establishment of the Permanent Census Bureau affords the opportunity for a better census than we have ever had. But in order to realize the full advantage of the permanent organization, ample time must be given for preparation. There is a constantly growing interest in this country in the question of the public health. At last, the public mind is awake to the fact that many diseases, notably tuberculosis, are national scourges. The work of the state and city boards of health should be supplemented by a constantly increasing interest on the part of the national government. The Congress has already provided a Bureau of Public Health and has provided for a hygienic laboratory. There are other valuable laws relating to the public health connected with the various departments. This whole branch of the government should be strengthened and aided in every way. I call attention to two government commissions which I have appointed and which have already done excellent work. The first of these has to do with the organization of the scientific work of the government, which has grown up wholly without plan and is in consequence so unwisely distributed among the executive departments that much of its effect is lost for the lack of proper coordination. This Commission's chief objective is to introduce a planned and orderly development and operation in the place of the ill-assorted and often ineffective grouping and methods of work which have prevailed. This cannot be done without legislation, nor would it be feasible to deal in detail with so complex an administrative problem by specific provisions of law. I recommend that the President be given authority to concentrate related lines of work and reduce duplication by executive order through transfer and consolidation of lines of work. The second committee, that on department methods, was introduced to investigate and report upon the changes needed to place the conduct of the executive force of the government on the most economical and effective basis in the light of the best modern business practice. The committee has made very satisfactory progress. Antiquated practices and bureaucratic ways have been abolished, and a general renovation of departmental methods has been inaugurated. All that can be done by executive order has already been accomplished, or will be put into effect in the near future. 
The work of the main committee and its several assistant committees has produced a wholesome awakening on the part of the great body of officers and employees engaged in government work. In nearly every department and office, there has been a careful self-inspection for the purpose of remedying any defects before they could be made the subject of adverse criticism. This has led individuals to a wider study of the work on which they were engaged, and this study has resulted in increasing their efficiency in their respective lines of work. There are recommendations of special importance from the committee on the subject of personnel and the classification of salaries, which will require legislative action before they can be put into effect. It is my intention to submit to the Congress in the near future, a special message on those subjects. Under our form of government, voting is not merely a right but a duty, and moreover, a fundamental and necessary duty if a man is to be a good citizen. It is well to provide that corporations shall not contribute to presidential or national campaigns, and furthermore, to provide for the publication of both contributions and expenditures. There is, however, always danger in laws of this kind, which from their very nature are difficult of enforcement, the danger being lest they be obeyed only by the honest and disobeyed by the unscrupulous so as to act only as a penalty upon honest men. Moreover, no such law should hamper an unscrupulous man of unlimited means from buying his own way into office. This is a very radical measure which would, I believe, work a substantial improvement in our system of conducting a campaign, although I am well aware that it will take some time for people so to familiarize themselves with such a proposal as to be willing to consider its adoption. The need for collecting large campaign funds would vanish if Congress provided an appropriation for the proper and legitimate expenses of each of the great national parties, an appropriation ample enough to meet the necessity for thorough organization and machinery, which requires a large expenditure of money. Then the stipulation should be made that no party receiving campaign funds from the Treasury should accept more than a fixed amount from any individual subscriber or donor and the necessary publicity for receipts and expenditures could without difficulty be provided. There should be a National Gallery of Art established in the capital city of this country. This is important not merely to the artistic, but to the material welfare of the country, and the people are to be congratulated on the fact that the movement to establish such a gallery is taking definite form under the guidance of the Smithsonian Institution. So far from there being a tariff on works of art brought into this country, their importation should be encouraged in every way. There have been no sufficient collections of objects of art by the government, and what collections have been acquired are scattered and are generally placed in unsuitable and imperfectly lighted galleries. The Biological Survey is quietly working for the good of our agricultural interests and is an excellent example of a government bureau which conducts original scientific research, the findings of which are of much practical utility. For more than 20 years, it has studied the food habits of birds and mammals 
that are injurious or beneficial to agriculture, horticulture, and forestry, has distributed illustrated bulletins on the subject, and has labored to secure legislative protection for the beneficial species. The cotton boll weevil, which has recently overspread the cotton belt of Texas and is steadily extending its range, is set to cause an annual loss of about $3 million. The Biological Survey has ascertained and gives wide publicity to the fact that at least 43 kinds of birds prey upon this destructive insect. It has discovered that 57 species of birds feed upon scale insects, dreaded enemies of the fruit grower. It has shown that woodpeckers as a class, by destroying the larvae of wood-boring insects, are so essential to tree life that it is doubtful if our forests could exist without them. It has shown that cuckoos and orioles are the natural enemies of the leaf-eating caterpillars that destroy our shade and fruit trees, that our quails and sparrows consume annually hundreds of tons of seeds of noxious weeds, that hawks and owls as a class, excepting the few that kill poultry and game birds, are markedly beneficial, spending their lives in catching grasshoppers, mice, and other pests that prey upon the products of husbandry. It has conducted field experiments for the purpose of devising and perfecting simple methods for holding in check the hordes of destructive rodents, rats, mice, rabbits, gophers, prairie dogs, and ground squirrels which annually destroy crops worth many millions of dollars, and it has published practical directions for the destruction of wolves and coyotes on the stock ranges of the West, resulting during the past year in an estimated saving of cattle and sheep valued at upwards of a million dollars. It has inaugurated a system of inspection at the principal ports of entry on both Atlantic and Pacific coasts, by means of which the introduction of noxious mammals and birds is prevented, thus keeping out the mongoose and certain birds which are as much to be dreaded as the previously introduced English sparrow and the house rats and mice. In the interest of game protection, it has cooperated with local officials in every state in the Union, has striven to promote uniform legislation in the several states, has rendered important service in enforcing the federal law, regulating interstate traffic in game, and has shown how game protection may be made to yield a large revenue to the state, a revenue amounting, in the case of Illinois, to $128,000 in a single year. The Biological Survey has explored the faunas and floras of America with reference to the distribution of animals and plants. It has defined and mapped the natural life areas, areas in which, by reason of prevailing climatic conditions, certain kinds of animals and plants occur, and has pointed out the adaptability of these areas to the cultivation of particular crops. The results of these investigations are not only of high educational value, but are worth each year to the progressive farmers of the country many times the cost of maintaining the survey, which, it might be added, is exceedingly small. I recommend to Congress that this Bureau, whose usefulness is seriously handicapped by lack of funds, be granted an appropriation in some degree 
commensurate with the importance of the work it is doing. End of section 28